Holes of the Mark podcast show presents from the book by Kevin Edads, The Fountain of Blood and Other Tales of Suspense, The Fountain of Blood. The Fitzgerald Theatre in downtown Pretoria, Illinois, was a non-descriptive theatre which had seen better days. In years past, it was much grander, cleaner, and better managed. But now it's controlled by an old man who's trying to get as much profit out of it as possible before it, he could run down to Arizona and retire. A theatre which shown many grindhouse films, old horror, low-budget B-movies and such. That being said, it had a loyal clientele who loved these films. Gary, the owner, had known to be a cheapskate, but on occasion he would, would feature popular cult classics such as Freaks, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Pink Flamingos, Phantom of the Paradise, and other midnight films as, as at the midnight showing. These nights were the best attended and brought in money, but these films were much more expensive to show than the others. Little did anyone realise but a cheap, mysterious film Gary procured the rights to show would change the theatre and associated with it for the rest of their lives. The Fountain of Blood was a movie that would have been all but ignored had it not been for the story behind it. It was put together by a cattle rancher from Texas who loved movies. He had put a sizable amount of money aside to film his dream. He had written a script in high school and held on to it over the years. By the time he was 50, he was able to put the movie together. He met with the mayor and locals of the small town where he lived, asking for permission to film in the area, inviting local actors and actresses to sign up and play in it. It, it. They didn't have the money to sign any huge stars, but he was able to sign a B-movie queen, Linda Longfellow, to play the heroine. The movie was about a cult who worshipped a dark master through sacrifices of seven virgins, and in doing so, were promised eternal life. While not an exceptionally idea, promised it promised to work well in the drive-through and grindhouse markets, which director, writer, director, and producer Mr. Willie H. Jenkins was looking for. He didn't expect to rake in millions of dollars, but but perhaps to take a tidy profit and give him a chance to produce another film he was written years ago. On the first day of shooting, a massive storm hit, killing the main actor in the film. The role was quickly recast and given to a high school graduate, a popular cheerleader who had the look of the good virgin girl. Shooting was done on a tight schedule. Willie hired a cinematographer and his sound and lighting guys from a local college while they were while they worked for cheap, they didn't have lots of time to shoot the film. They only had Linda Logfellow for 12 days, so all the scenes of her had to be done first. On the fourth day, a freak accident killed the sound person. A new one had to be hired on the spot. They ended up finding a high school kid who had been present on the audio-visual club. He was a typical nerd who was looking for something that would help him in the future. He filled in quite nicely and soon took over the lighting because the person who did lighting died of a heart attack in the hotel room. Some people started to say the film was jinx, but Woody told them that was nuisance. 
he is creating a piece of art which is going to be part of the community, put the community on the map. Two days later, during, after a car crash scene, two locals who drove the stunt car died in a fiery crash. But rather than lose the footage, Willie decided to use it, something that, they, that was looked down upon by many in the community. One of the early locals who played the role of the cult leader died the next to last day of shooting. People on the set became convinced, concerned. The film really was cursed. It was a little, there, there was little Willie could say to convince him otherwise. Finally, the last straw, as the final angel being filmed, Willie witnessed Lin- Linda Longfellow killed in a freak accident following a hoose show and two were hay wagons. The film certainly seemed cursed, but Willie was able to use this to be his advantage. While he knew there was no way the major studios would purchase and distribute the film, there were minor studios that were interested, and Willie sold the rights to the highest bidder. A week after selling the rights to the film, Willie himself died of a massive heart massive stroke. He was never in the best health, and it was sure, and it was assumed the stress of the film and the misfortunes had gotten to him. The film was released, and then along with the story of the curse, did decent business for a while, but soon it fell into obscurity. For decades, no one thought of it, till young and thorough had been a fan of B-movies, discovered the film, and really wanted to see it. The studio that originally owned the rights to the film had been bought and sold a, a few times. The current rights holder was a struggling financially. The young businessman brought the copyright for a small amount of money with the intention of realising it releasing it to the video market, but before releasing it to the video market, businesses wanted men wanted to screen the film in a few theatres across the country to drum up interest. This work they planned to buy more films for direct release to the video market. The film first to show the film was a Fitzgerald Theatre. Due to the fact that Gary purchased the rights for only a dollar. Zach Edison a fresh college freshman was a really care manager of the theatre, was super excited to show the film. He's familiar with the legends around it and realised this was the first time the film would be shown to the public in for over 30 years. There's no telling how well the movie would go over, but it was well advertised and it seemed to generate interest. Zach scheduled a crew of five to work the theatre that night. There's one ticket taker, two concession stand workers, a protectionist, those four were still in the high school. His, his usher was the only man who loved, loved movies and worked for the theatre to, the, to, to see them for free. Sally, the ticket taker, was Zach's girlfriend. Sally was a high school senior and self-proclaimed nerd. She read comics on the job and knew more about the movies than anyone else there. After the last ticket was sold, she would help with the concessions. That night, when the box office opened... The line was longer than usual, so Sally had no time to read and beloved indie comics. Outside the theatre, there were around 50 people lined up for tickets, something they only saw on Rocky Horror Nights. The people quickly got their tickets and headed to the vending with a chubby but popular Stanley in his compatriot, Kelly, a very attractive high school. Cheerleader did their best to keep up with the sales. Many of them, they wanted popcorn candy and pop. So, seeing the line at the concession, some headed to the seat 
Instead, deciding it was best to wait for vending until closure to, closer to the start of the movie. They were seated by the usher, old Frank, who didn't mind being called old, since he was 50 years older than the kids he worked with. Then again, he had more energy than most people of his age, a detailed knowledge of the movies, and shared the same interest in cinema, classical cinema as Zack and Sally, so that for these reasons, old Frank seemed to fit right in. Five minutes below, before the movie started, a couple of teenagers purchased their tickets before it was too late and slipped into the theatre. Sally closed the box and went to the concession stand to help out. In the dim light of the theatre, Zack got out and introduced the film to the waiting audience, something you don't see often today. He told everyone about Legend and explained this was the first time in decades the film was shown to the public. He also stated the theatre was not responsible for anything that might that might happen during the course of the evening, and laughed as he turned away. Jimmy, the projectionist, started the film, and a hush fell over the, the audience as the title credits rolled. Zack and his team managed to find empty seats in the back. Stanley manned the concession stand and was standing until the, it was the last, the last 30 minutes of the movie. At first, the crowd didn't seem interested in the slow-moving film. After half an hour, things got a bit more interesting, but it wasn't so much about the film plot as it was about other things. Zack appeared at one of the film actors, walked to the screen and, and out into the theatre, taking a seat among the audience. Zack went up to the projection booth, projection, projection booth to find out if Jimmy had witnessed this and if he had any idea how it happened. Jimmy had seen it too and figured it was just a special effect and was that was put into the film, yet he had no idea how and told Zack he he made him extremely uncomfortable. Zack went back went back to the movie, watched the movie, and sat with Sally, Kelly and old Frank. Kelly was bored and asked Zack if he could she could go home. He told her that it was fine. She said goodbye to Sally and went out to the car. Once Sally had asked her to walk her home. They were good friends, and Stanley secretly wanted to date her. He knew she was out of his league, but she didn't seem as shallow as the other girls. A few minutes later, Sir Kelly returned, very startled. She told Stanley someone had broken into her car. She called the cops, and the dispatcher told her it was a busy night, and it might be a while before they could get, get there to take her report. Stanley offered to drive her home after the movie which she found herself agreeing to. She didn't like the movie, so she decided to stay in concession with Frank and sat behind the popcorn maker. In the theatre, another actor seemed to walk right out of the screen into a theatre seat. Zack was getting pretty nervous. He had been a member of the ghost hunting club in high school, and we wondered if this, if he was, he was seeing were the ghosts of people who died during the filming. Zack had no idea what to do. He wanted to get everyone out of the theatre. He knew if the manager found out the film was cancelled, it had been hell to pay. He also realised there were ghosts. If it didn't necessarily mean something bad would happen. Zack went up to the projection booth to check out Jimmy and told Jimmy to shut down the film. He planned to sell the audience, tell the audience there was a problem and he would refund their tickets, but the projector would not turn off when he tried unplugging it. When they pulled on the pl- 
plug a joint of electricity shot from the wall right down the length of the cord and passed right along, rending them temporarily senseless. Jimmy wanted to phone, uh, go home. He, he was so freaked out, but he didn't want to let Zack know this. He, he made up his mind to sneak out while no one was looking. Helplessly, Zack sat down again to watch the movie. As he did, the apparition of a, lo- a large hand reached out from the screen and gra- grasped towards the audience. It didn't molest anyone, but it seemed in mingled screams of fright and glee throughout the crowd. One of the patrons announced they were the best special effects he'd ever seen. The audience seemed to be enjoying the movie, so Zack began to remain calm and not get only excited. A large hand reached out again. This time it grabbed a popcorn bucket out of the kid's lap and threw it in the air. As the popcorn rang down the audience, like the theatre was filled, uh, filled with screams and laughter, everybody was excited by the effects of the film. They thought the theatre had outdone itself. Stanley found Zack and told him the theatre owner was on the phone. Zack picked up the phone and told his boss it was certainly one of those most successful nights in months, second only to the Halloween Rockahoyer showings. Stanley informed Zack that he did that he had sold many concessions in one night. Then in the past two weeks, with owner happy, Zack went back to his seat and concerned himself with the rest of the movie. It's da- it was down to the last 15 minutes and excitement building towards the climax. But what happened next caused more excitement than any film plot or creative screenwriting ever has ever produced. A large hand reached out again and this time it grabbed someone, a real person, pulled them into the screen and their seat was left empty. In the projection box, Jimmy saw there was no special effect. He ran in, out to the theatre immediately. A few screams fil- filtered the air out from the crowd, and then the laughter resumed, as if it assumed this was the last special effect of tragic stunt, and a vanished person w- would show up after the film. A couple of minutes later, two spirits walked out the screen, and one of them began speaking, and he said, We have been alone and trapped in this film for decades. We are bored, and this film needs some new life. New life is we acquire from the audience who who, who will work for. The audience tittered, sniggered, and hooted. Someone yelled, boo, and everyone shouted, get lost, get lost, loser. Fearful, Zach whispered to Sally to get out and go home. He, he, he turned to old Frank and told him that they were going to attempt to slowly and calmly move the audience out of the theatre. Before they could make a move to do anything, the ghost grabbed old Frank by the elbow, ushered him to the screen where he vanished. Then old Frank showed up in the screen as part of the film. No one was laughing. The only sound was of Hell House screaming. This and everyone re- running, scrambling, trampling over one another as they rushed to the exit. The problem was the door wasn't, wouldn't open. The face of the director Mr. William H. Jenkins appeared in the screen now. Willie said that the new film was filming until the film stopped playing. 
Actors would be added to the film. Actors which would be obtained from the audience. A group of ghosts came out of the screen and took a few teenagers with them. Teenagers were fairly stoned and didn't even fight back. Two people didn't believe that this could be real and thought it was an elaborate prank. Even if it was real, they really wanted to see how the movie ended. They remained in the theatre, carrying back in the seats. In the lobby, Zack was shooting at everyone to stay calm. He grabbed a chair, swung it around the glass door. They, they, they could not break. No one's getting out. A cop appeared outside. He responded to the call from Kelly about the car. He tried to open the door, but he wouldn't budge. He could, he could see the commotion inside, but he couldn't hear any inside or speak through the door. He ended up getting through to his, on his cell phone to Zach. It's a lobby. Over the dins, Zach stated that something was wrong with the film and people were seriously disappearing and someone tied to, tied somehow tied to the film. The cop didn't believe it. He thought they were just playing a prank until he heard the general fear of people packed up like sardines against the glass doors, begging for him to let him out. Two minutes left in the film. Mr. W. Mr. William H. Hankin, Jenkins himself, as well as four other ghosts, came out of the empty theatre to get the pe- more people to take with them. The two who stayed in the theatre, hiding in the seats, remained observed, so the ghosts continued into the lobby. Everyone was running and screaming, trying to go away. Get away. Two spirits grabbed a young girl, and two others grabbed Sally. Mr. D- William H. Jenkins grabbed a frail-looking college kid. Jen- Sally was almost to the screen when Zack jumped out into the aisle and tackled her. A tip of a bad... Brief tackle and brief scuffle ensued. Sally was able to break free, and Zach was being Zach was taken captive in her place. Zach stared at Sally as she was dragged away. She broke out sobbing as she saw him vanish forever into the screen. Movie is over, the doors open, the cops were joined by two other officers who received a dress call. Distress call. Together they tried to interview the hysterical crowd. From the fragments of sense they gathered, it seemed an unbelievable story, but they couldn't deny it. Stanley took Kelly home. She kissed him on the cheek as he dropped her off. A tragedy tonight might draw them closer and saw a romance that would develop. Sally was emotional, mentally traumatised by the incident, and would spend the rest of the next two years in and out of mental institutions, before coming well enough to lead a somewhat normal life. She returned to college, became a high-school, high-profile comic book writer. Shortly after leaving, Jimmy went back into the theatre, having realised he had lost his keys when he got out of the protection booth. No one ever saw him again, but he got his keys. The story hit the news, and a young businessman who owned the rights to the video had it mass produced and made it available to the public for home viewing. The result was disastrous. Throughout the nation, there occurred a dramatic increase in explained disappearances and missing people's reports. However, no one ever 
two and two together. The night screening on the fountain of blood. Fitzgerald Theatre was hushed over and soon forgotten, but somewhere out there it is possible to come across a copy of the fountain of blood.